Uh, Acts chapter 9, that's where we will be. Uh, there we go. Acts chapter 9, we are going to begin in verse 10, and that picks up our story. Actually, it's kind of an interlude from our last story uh, where we left off. Um, uh, but we'll be in Acts uh, chapter 9, verse 10. We will pick up there. Verse 10. Now, um, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. And, he, and the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, about how much evil he has done to your saints in that Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all those who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord... Uh, uh, the Lord who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. So let's go back and let's pick up in uh, verse 10. And that's where we will start today uh, in this story that we uh, just read about. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go for this, uh, to the street called Straight, the house of Judas, looking for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. So, we don't know a lot about Ananias. There's not a whole lot that the Bible tells us about this guy. He just kind of appears on the scene. Uh, God has something for him to do. He uh, has a specific task uh, for him to take on. Uh, we don't know why he happened to be in that particular place at that particular time. We don't know what brought him to Damascus. We don't know why he happened to be there. Uh, but what we do uh, know is that he was a follower of Jesus. Uh, he, and so many of you are followers of Jesus. And so Ananias, it really is no different than you, no different from me. And God has called him to do something very specific. I mean, he was an ordinary man, just a dude, chose to follow Jesus one day. He was not an apostle. He was not a prophet. He's not a pastor. He's not an evangelist. He's not an elder in the local church. He's not a deacon. He's not some big position of prominence or anything like that. But God chose to use him. God chose to take him and use him. Doesn't have to be a professional. Doesn't have to be the guy that stands in the pulpit and preaches. Guys just like you, guys just like me, just normal dudes. He's calling to do something spe specific. Yeah, I think it's interesting that God chose um, Ananias to do this. You know, he could have chose, why didn't, he, why didn't he choose one of the apostles to go? 
Why don't you choose one of the apostles to go and go, hey man, you know, this, I, I'm really going to use this dude. And so I need somebody really special to go. So I'm going to get one of my boys and I'm going to send them to go rather than choosing Ananias. Why do you think he just, why do you think he chose Ananias versus one of the apostles? Say it again. Yeah, show him his power, right? Show him his power exists in all who follow Jesus. You don't have to be an apostle. I mean, because if it had been an apostle, then somebody might have said, well, you know, it takes an apostle to actually do this work for there to be something really special that happens. But instead, he chose Ananias, a guy that we see come on the scene in this, in this story. We don't necessarily read about him anymore. You know, uh, but he was a disciple. And, and, and here's the big question. What is a disciple of Jesus? What would you say is a disciple of Jesus? Follower, okay. What else? Come on. If you're new here, well, not if you're new here. Come on, you, be, you people been here for a while. You know, whenever I ask a question and I walk off to the, oh, the always to the right, your left, and stand here like this, what am I expecting you to do? Answer, Answer yes. So what is someone who is a disciple of Jesus? Student, Student? okay, yep. One who, shares the word. One who shares the word. What else? Say it again. Someone who exemplifies Christ, yeah. What else? What is a disciple of Jesus. We have a definition here at Refuge, and our definition says this, uh, a disciple of Jesus is someone through the power of the Holy Spirit, who through the power of the Holy Spirit chooses to increasingly submit all parts of their life to follow Jesus. Let me say that again. A disciple is someone who through the power of the Holy Spirit chooses to increasingly submit all parts of their life to follow Jesus. So the question becomes, are you a disciple? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Is God using you? Is the Holy Spirit using you right now, currently in your life? Do you see the Holy Spirit using you, conforming you, seeing your life continually conformed to the, or, or submitting more and more parts of your life to follow Jesus? And if not, why not? Think about that. Think about that in your own life. Those of us who are followers of Jesus are called to be disciples of Jesus, to increasingly submit all of our lives to follow Jesus. Let's keep going. Our text says uh, that the Lord came to him in a vision. God spoke to Ananias really in a different way that he spoke to Saul. If you remember him speaking to Saul, it was like this big dramatic thing that seemed to happen. And whenever he, when he called Saul out, and it was a kind of a big, huge, dramatic thing. He's like, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so I was like, oh, Lord, is that you? You know, he was, he was almost knocked to his feet, and he was like, oh, my goodness, this was some big dramatic encounter with the Lord. But here with Ananias, it, it seems like it was just a calm response to Ananias and going, hey, uh, 
Ananias, I, I need you to do something. And Ananias responded, well, here I am, Lord. That's a great response to the Lord. Here I am. What is it you want me to do? What is it you would have me to do, Lord? You know, we shouldn't be surprised that, that Saul it took this kind of big thing from the Lord to, or this big dramatic encounter with the Lord with Saul. Uh, and we also shouldn't be surprised that the Lord comes and also speaks not only in dramatic voices, but in small, still voices to those who are his disciples, those who hear from him, those who are listening for him. What is it that the Lord has to say? Let's look and see what he says in verse 11. The Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I pray, I would really like the Lord to be specific with me whenever I pray. Would you, anybody want the Lord to be specific? Yeah, I, I, I like for him, I'm, I'm a good old southern boy from Mississippi. And so I need you to just hit it right down the middle for me. I mean, just write a 12 hopper into me at, you know, the first base. So I don't have to throw it anywhere. I have it moved from my position, a really slow roller to first base so I can get it and step on the bag. That's what I need to happen from the Lord. I need him to just be very straightforward. Sometimes it's not that way though, but he was very specific to, to, uh, in, this, in this thing he was talking to Ananias. Look what it says. He said, uh, he said, he told him a specific street. He said, go to the street called what? Straight, yes. He said, you go to the street. It's called straight. And he said, where, he told him a specific house. What's the house called? House of what? Yes. So I'm leaving. I need you to go to Forest Street and I need you to go to 12292 Forest Street and uh, there's a specific man called what? Yes, Scott there, yes. <laughs> Back to the text, sorry. That is Scott. That was what he would have said if he was looking for me. That, that Scott is there probably uh, in his sweatpants. Uh, Back to the text. A specific man, who did he say he's looking for? Yeah, a, a man of Tarsus called Saul. And, and what is this dude going to be doing when you get there? Praying, yes. And... and uh, and so this was a, a specific thing. He said, he's going to be seeing a vision of a man called Ananias. I mean, and so God was very, very specific with him. Extremely specific. I would like for that to happen. Sometimes it is and sometimes it, uh, <laughs> that's just like reminds me of my son. When Drew was little, I, I had this on some social media profile. When Drew was like, you know, five or six, um, he had said, somebody asked him if he was afraid of the dark. And he said, sometimes I am, sometimes I ain't. And so that's kind of me with, you know, understanding the Lord. Do you understand what the Lord wants you to do? Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, you know, because I, this, this was specific though. I, I mean, very, very specific in what he wanted him to do. Uh, and I think he had to be specific because he was calling to do something dangerous. And he's calling to go to Saul who persecuted the church. This wasn't like going to just some meek, mild-mannered house in, in the neighborhood. This was to the guy who was persecuting those who followed Jesus. He was called the great persecutor. And so if, if God calls you to do something like that, how do you think you're going to respond to him? I mean, let's just think about it. If God called you to go to someone who was persecuting you, how are you going to respond 
Be honest. You don't, don't give me no church answer. I'll, I'll, here, I'll just respond for you. What? <laughs> me? To go see that cat? Do you know the stuff that he does? Do you know the stuff that he does to people like me? I, I don't know about this. I'm going to need a clearer word from you, Lord. I'm going to need something else. That, that's probably the way I would respond. I, I, I don't know. I would hope that I would respond better, but, but clearly Ananias is like, I, I, I don't know about this. I, I don't know if this is really what I'm hearing you say. I'm hearing the words you're saying, but I'm not picking up what you're putting down, you know. I, I, I'm not sure if this is what I want to do. He even told, he really even told Ananias what Saul would be doing at the time. And what he said was, is that he will be praying. Now look, <coughs> we know that Saul was a religious man. He, he was a religious man from the, from the uh, Jewish uh, standpoint. But I would say that maybe after Saul's encounter with the Lord, his prayers might have been even a little bit more specific. I mean, he had encountered the Lord. And this was, this was something that didn't necessarily happen before for him, but he had encountered the Lord, the, the one who he had talked about and spoken about, and, and the one that he thought was the one who was to come, the Messiah who was to come. And so he didn't believe that it was Jesus at the time, because what was he doing before this? What was he doing before this? Persecuting those who followed Jesus. And so he wouldn't have been expecting it to be Jesus, but his encounter, pow, made things a little bit different. And suddenly he was realizing that maybe this Jesus is the one that he was talking about. Maybe G this Jesus is the one that all the people were really in an uproar about. Maybe this Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah that I've been believing in, and he has finally actually come. And so as, as Saul is praying, I think our text indicates that he had really had a change of heart. The encounter with Jesus, uh, the one who was famous for persecuting the disciples of Jesus, he suddenly had this encounter with the living Jesus. And I would say at that point, his prayers were probably a little more than mechanical prayers. Wouldn't you think? If he had encountered this Jesus whom he had been persecuting, Suddenly his prayers probably are a little more, less mechanical. You know, had he ever prayed with Jesus as his mediator between God and man? Had he ever prayed with a humble, a real humbled heart before the Lord? Seemed like Saul had prayed before, but probably never prayed like he did this time. Think about your own prayers. What are your prayers like? I mean, how do you pray? I'm not asking how your husband prays, how your wife prays, how your kids pray. I'm talking about your prayers. What are your prayers like? Are they just kind of rote over and over again? I say the same prayers over and over again. I say the same blessing every night at dinner. I say the same thing to the Lord every night. Are they just wrote same thing over and over again? I say God is great for every time before our meal. I say the Lord's prayer in my huddle in my athletic team. We talk about how that one goes. That one's like on 
three times speed. What are your prayers like? I would say Saul's were probably a little bit different. Do, do you pray? I hope you do. I hope you pray to the king of kings, the one who spoke the world into existence. That's who you, you get to speak to. The one who holds all things together by the power of his word is the person you get to speak to. You get to bust into the throne room of grace to find help in your time of need. That's who we get to go to. That's who we get to pray to. That's the one who invites our prayers in. The king of glory that we just sang about. Let's keep going. What was Ananias' response? Verse 13 says this. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, about how much evil, evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who are called on your name. In your Bible, circle, in verse 13, circle the word, word but. So, so an Ananias, he had heard from the Lord, but he was going to give a rebuttal back to the Lord during this time. This was, this was Ananias' pushback on the Lord and what it was that the Lord was asking him or telling him to do. You know anything about pushing back on the Lord? Do you ever push back? Do you, do you ever go, Boy, I don't know, Lord. No, I, I don't know. I'm not sure I'm willing to do that. I'm not sure I'm willing to lay that down. I'm not sure I'm willing to go and apologize. I'm not sure I'm willing to accept an apology. I'm not sure I'm willing to, to mend those fences that need to be mended. I'm not sure I'm willing to do what it is that you're telling me to do right now. I don't feel like it, Lord. You ever push back on the Lord? Seeing that Ananias was pushing back, was pushing back just a little bit. Some of you here are still looking for a church home. And I'm glad you're looking. Man, listen to the Holy Spirit. See what it is the Holy Spirit would have you to do. Maybe it's this church that you need to find a church home in. Maybe if you're here and you go, hey, I hear Pastor Scott talking about places to serve all the time. I can tell you that's, the Lord wants you to serve somewhere. He didn't bring you here to just sit around and listen to the good preaching. <laughs> he... He's called you to this place and this people. This is going to be your home because our church family will be better. We'll be better equipped to serve the Lord whenever you're using your gifts. He didn't bring you here for nothing. He came you here to use your gifts in the edifying of this body so that we can go and serve, we can serve each other and we can serve our community around us. Maybe he's calling you to be baptized. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus and he's calling you to be baptized. You've heard us talk about that. How, you know, hey, it's time. We, we say that we should be baptized following our conversion, that we believe that's the biblical pattern, that baptism is an external symbol of a spiritual reality. And maybe you're wrestling with that and you're going, well, I was baptized in another time. And I said I became a Christian when I was X number age years old, but now I've become a Christian. And I don't know if I'm going to be baptized again. Or I was baptized as a baby, and that's sufficient for me, even though I don't see that in the Scriptures anywhere. I am going to, I'm going to do it now, and I'm just going to count that one. Maybe God's calling you to be baptized because you've got that kind of out of order. I don't know what he's calling you to do. I ain't the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit may be calling you for something. And you may be pushing back like Ananias was for whatever reason. 
Certainly, Ananias had heard about this persecutor of the church. He obviously knew who he was and knew that he was persecuting the church and, he had, and the Lord was now calling him to go and do something. And so his objections were logical in going, I, I don't know if I want to go meet this dude. Lord, you know what kind of guy Saul is? Look at verse 13. He, he said, do you know how much he has done to your saints in Jerusalem? Here he has a... How, here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Apparently, it was well known that that's what Saul was doing. Anybody that claimed to follow Jesus, he was binding them and keeping them together and taking them off the streets just because they called themselves Christians. Look at verse 15. This is what it says. But the Lord said to him, you can circle that but right there at the beginning of 15. But... So he's like, okay, the Lord said something, and but Ananias kind of pushed back on him and, and gave the Lord his, you know, his defense. And now we get to 15, but so the Lord's coming back to Ananias and kind of pushes back on Ananias' pushback. That's what's happening in 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Underline that. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. He said, I've chosen this cat to do the work, that, this very specific work that I'm going to do. And in the middle of this, I'm going to show him that he's got some suffering to do for my name's sake. Yeah, I don't think, he hadn't even revealed this to Saul yet, what he was calling Saul to do. But he told Ananias, hey, this is what I'm going to do with this guy. So Ananias knew before Saul knew what the calling on Saul's life actually was. God considered Saul this chosen instrument long before there appeared anything in Saul that anybody else would think that he would be using that reason for. Verse 15 gives us the mission for Saul. Look what it says. To carry my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the children of Israel. So he was going to take this blind man. Remember, Saul is blinded at this point. Blind, broken, afflicted man that Ananias would soon meet and send him out on this mission. Now, I wouldn't necessarily blame Ananias for being a little bit skeptical about this whole thing. Remember, Ananias hadn't seen Saul. He, or he didn't know what God was up to in Saul's life. And, and, and so, you know, this was a great big calling that the Lord had for him for such an unlikely candidate. You know, he's like, wait, you're going to send this dude to be, to herald your name to the Gentiles? This seems a little crazy to me, Lord. But he, but he trusted the Lord long enough that he said, I'm going to go do what it is that you're calling me to do. Sometimes it's the most unlikely people that God calls to do some unlikely things. Let me say that again. Sometimes it's the most unlikely people that God chooses to do the most unlikely things. This church is a great example of that. Yeah, I, that the Lord called a bunch of ragtag bunch of people that had never pastored a church, never been on a church staff, never had a 
had a band together, never played in a band together in a band, a, a church, never put a system together to build, you know, to have a church service or anything at all like that. Four, over 14 years ago now, God called a group of people to go do something unlikely, unlikeliest of people to do the unlikeliest of things because he wanted to show his name great, just like he was going to do with Saul. He was going to show his name great. He was going to take the most unlikely and most unlikely situations and do the most unlikely thing so that his name could be made great. I would say this, he does the same things here with wretched sinners like you and me. Takes people like us, just regular, normal people, regular, ordinary people, that just are going about our lives, raising our kids, going to our jobs, being in relationships, whatever the thing it is that we're doing, he takes people like you and me and he uses us in the most unlikely of circumstances to make his name great. How cool would it be if you really believed that? If you really believed that God would take somebody like you and fill you with his Holy Spirit and send you on a mission to do the most unlikely of things that you could even imagine or think. The vast majority of us can't even imagine walking across the street to talk to our neighbor about Jesus. That may be where he begins. Some of us aren't even willing to talk to our kids about the Lord. Maybe he starts there and lights that flame in your family. How cool would that be? unlikeliest of people to do the most unlikeliest of things. Lastly, God tells Ananias that he's going to show Saul how much he must suffer for the sake of God's great name. Think about this. He, Saul was going to go from the highest calling of being a priest, one of the priests, one of the religious leaders during his day to a call with much suffering. You know, it's not a line that sells a whole lot today. Hey, I'm going to call you to suffering. Who wants to go first? None of us want to raise our hands for that job, right? None of us line up to suffer. That's not the line that we choose to get in first. The very opposite is true. You know, I, I say this and I, I bang this drum pretty heavy because many of the televangelists that we see on TV and that you watch on TV from time to time and, and some of you people who are, are, are watching online today, you, you may switch off refuge and watch some televangelists. And uh, many times televangelists, the people with the largest ministries maybe sometimes are, are sending a different message. Rather than, hey, I need you to go die to yourself so that Jesus' name be, may be made great. Many times we see people saying, you're going to be made great. You're going to receive health, wealth, and prosperity. You're going to receive the things that you could poss never possibly imagine or think. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't reward us. There's a reward waiting for us. It may not be in this life, though. The Scripture tells us that many, many times that we are called to suffering before there is anything else as followers of Jesus. Also, it doesn't mean that you won't be prosperous in this life. The reality is God calls it to reign on the just and the unjust. People that follow Jesus, people that don't follow Jesus, the rain falls on us either way, right? My yard gets watered, somebody else's yard gets watered. God provides for me, God provides for somebody else. 
God provides for you as a just person. God provides maybe for your neighbor, even a family member who may be outside the household of faith. God makes it rain on the just and the unjust. So the calling of God on our lives, though, doesn't mean it's going to be a bed of roses. Many times it's not unlike this message headed for Saul in the scripture that it may be encapsulated with much suffering and much difficulty. And that's the truth that it, sometimes what it means to follow Jesus. Let's keep going. Y'all still with me? Verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you have sent me, so that you may be, re excuse me, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Verse 19, and taking some chicken strips, he was strengthened. <laughs> just, I'm just imagining that. So, I mean, it seems like Ananias just busted up in Saul's house like he was going in the side door or something, like the side door is always unlocked. And look what it says. I like the play verse that it says in verse 17. It says, Ananias seized Saul. Isn't that interesting, the wording that's used there? Ananias seized Saul laying hands on him. That, that's actually what is laying hands on him, which is almost the, the, the dichotomy of what Saul was doing to people during the day. He was seizing people. He was laying hands on him. He was doing it for, for bad, and Ananias was going to lay hands on him for good. I like that. I like the way the scriptures uh, laid that out there. And so Ananias said, it's time for you to regain your sight, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and honestly, I think this is when uh, uh, Saul was born again. I think this was the point at which he was born again. Because uh, uh, here it says this is when he received the Holy Spirit. He was healed from his blindness. Uh, and so he was healed not only from his physical blindness, I believe he was healed from his spiritual blindness as well. And so some will say that they believe Saul was converted on the road to Damascus. When he met Jesus for the first time, recognized him for who he was. Somebody say that's when he was converted. Some people believe that this is the time whenever uh, Ananias goes and lays his hands on him, that this is when he's converted. You know, whichever place you land on, I'm okay with that. As long as you support it by scripture, then I'm okay that you land there. But here's what we know. In somewhere in this time frame that uh, Ananias was converted over and he became a follower of Jesus during that time. So when Saul could see both physically and spiritually, he, I, he wanted to identify himself with Jesus. And he wanted to identify himself with Jesus, the disciples. And, and so what did he say? What was the next thing that was going to happen? Read your Bible. Come on. He, he identified with Jesus. His eyes were open. And suddenly he wanted to be baptized. Yeah. He wanted to be baptized. He was like, let's get you baptized. And so uh, what about you? Have you ever been baptized? Following your conversion, you back on that preacher? Yep. 
That's definitely the New Testament pattern. Repent of your sins, which means to turn away from your sins. Recognize that you are a sinner and you need salvation. Turn from your sins. Believe the gospel. Trust Jesus. Be baptized as an external outward symbol. This, this kind of correlates back to Old Testament circumcision. It's the mark, you know, circumcision was the mark of God's people in the Old Testament. Baptism is saying, I identify with Jesus today, and so I need to be baptized following my conversion. Why have you not been baptized? And so if that is the pattern, if that's what it's like, and this was experience for Saul, then I would encourage you to do that very same thing. Saul's conversion reminds us of this. That God finds some who by all appearances aren't really looking for him. That God searches out some who aren't searching for him. And that may be you today. Maybe you didn't come in here looking for Jesus. Maybe you didn't walk in this church service thinking you're going to encounter Jesus. Maybe you're watching online and you go, I wasn't really looking for Jesus today, but I'm kind of interested now. Maybe that's where you are today. Not looking for him Maybe you think you're too, just so bad that you're actually unreachable by God. The Bible tells us, though, that God is not willing that any should perish, that all should come to salvation. That's the message for you today. God's not willing that you should perish, but that all, meaning you, should come to salvation. Ananias was obedient to God. The calling that God had on his life, Ananias was obedient. And God used him in Saul's conversion. How obedient are you to God? Think about it. How obedient are you to God? How obedient is it that you follow what the Scripture teaches us? When you open the Bible... And you read it and you go, my life matches up with this or my life doesn't match up with this. As a pastor stands in a pulpit here or whether or not you may be at another church that you regularly attend and the pastor declares some things and you go, does my life line up with what the pastor's teaching us from the scriptures or does my life not line up with the way the pastor's teaching us from the scriptures? How does your life line up? How obedient to God are you? Who is in charge of your life? If God says go, are you willing to trust him? If God sends you somewhere, are you willing to be sent? If God sends you to someone, are you willing to go? And here's the question to someone who might be outside the household of faith. You know that about yourself. You know that you're not a Christian today. As you're listening to me speak to you today, you're well aware in your mind that I am not a Christian. I am unsaved. I'm outside the household of faith. If you sense God saying, come to Jesus today, are you willing to come to Jesus today? To recognize who Jesus is, that he is God the Son We have Trinitarian theology that says Jesus is God. Recognize him for what he did, that he died on the cross. First, he lived the sinless life that you and I cannot live. 
and he died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin. The scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And he's talking about the blood of Jesus that he shed, that he poured out on a cross. When they put the nails in his hands and the nails in his feet and blood poured from his body, spear in his side, Whenever the blood poured out, that blood was being poured out to cover your sin debt. He died the death that you and I deserve to die. He paid the debt that you and I deserve to pay. And then God raised him from the dead. He overcame death and hell and the grave. Satisfied God the Father's wrath Toward sin. The scripture says that the Lord placed on him, God placed on Jesus the iniquity, the sin of us all. The Bible also tells us that when you, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what does that mean? That I'm saying that Jesus is God, that Jesus has paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain on us, but he washed it white as snow. Then what do you do? You become missionaries, like we say every week, telling people about the hope that they have within them. Today, unfortunately, we get easy believism. If you'll just say this prayer, we call it golden ticket theology here at Refuge, that there's this easy believism thing that I can say this rote prayer and I can say these specific words and they're like magic incantation words that suddenly mean if I say them rightly, then suddenly I'm a Christian. That's why we really push back on people that come to us saying, hey, I want to be Christians, not pushing back and to say, we don't want you to become Christians, we just want you to know. We don't want you to just say some words. We want to know that you know who Jesus is and that you need a Savior and that there is only one way to God and that's through his son, Jesus Christ. And why that matters to you. He calls us after that to live differently. Unfortunately, too many today are never transformed whenever they have their salvation experience. It just becomes a religious experience then really an encounter with the living God. So the question still stands, how obedient to God are you? Has Jesus changed you? I mean, has he really changed you? Is the gospel conforming you into the image of God? Are you still being disobedient? Are you still responding in the same way to people or even the same way to God where you are stiff-necked and gritting your teeth and unwilling to follow him? Today, we hope you change. Saul said he wanted to be baptized. Ooh, I gotta wrap up. Saul said he wanted to be baptized. You know, we ask five different questions whenever people are baptized here at Refuge. I'm not going to go through them for the sake of time, but we, we ask specific things that people get to declare that, hey, I follow Jesus. These are the things that I believe. Well, you know what I'm going to say them anyway. Do you believe that Jesus is God the Son? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross to secure your salvation by paying the penalty for all your sins? Do you believe that Jesus... Uh, that God raised Jesus bodily from the grave three days later? Are you willing to trust in the finished work of Christ alone for your salvation? Do you understand that this sacrament of water baptism is in obedience to Jesus and is your external symbol of identifying yourself with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? 
We declare those things when we baptize people at, uh, at, here at Refuge. And Saul was declaring that he believed those kinds of things whenever he was baptized during this time. Baptism is your first step of obedience, the first step of obedience that Saul took whenever he became a Christian. We would encourage you to do that very same thing if you have not been baptized following your conversion. And lastly, I'll ask you this question, and I'm going to try to wrap it up. In what areas of your life do you need to be obedient to God? What areas do you need to be obedient to God? Sitting there, you know what they are already right in your head. I know you do. What areas do you need to be obedient to God? We would just encourage you, like Ananias did, respond in faith. You may have some questions about what it is that the Lord's calling you to do. I always say, God's a big boy. He can handle your questions. Ask him. Wrestle with it some. But listen and be obedient to what it is that God is calling you today. Let the Lord use you to accomplish his divine purposes. Maybe the, the, the Spirit's calling you to join this church family. Maybe he's telling you, you need to be involved more. Involved. Find a gospel community group. Find a place to serve. Be on the mission of Jesus. Here's what I'll say this. Despite Saul's hatred and fierce opposition to the early church, the Lord was good and gracious to give him his physical sight back. But even more, he gave him spiritual eyes to be able to see that he'd never been able to see before. And he'll do the same thing for you. Despite your resistance, despite your opposition, despite your doubts that you may come with today, despite the vitriol that you may even spew about the church, despite your hesitation to even follow Jesus today, Jesus is stu still the good and gracious king that we just sang about, that we read about in our text today, going to whatever lengths are necessary to call his people, yes, to call even you to himself today. You talking about me, preacher? I'm talking about you. To call you to himself today. We say this, that where sin runs deep, his grace is more. And where sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. There's no pit so deep, there's no mountain so high that God will not find you, even in the depths of your sin or in the heights of your sin. His grace is more. We'd invite you today, just like we see happening in our text, to come to Jesus. That's our hope today. Let's pray.